Hello, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm joined today by my guest, Ryan Jansen of Zenlytic. And the topic for today's show is data-driven, getting smart with acquisition and retention. And our tagline is, the world's fastest growing businesses all share the same superpower. They understand in a data-driven way how customers use and buy their products. How can the rest of us build this superpower? And a short bio for Ryan is that he's a tech entrepreneur, investor, and data scientist, also extremely well-educated, and we'll get into that. He's the co-founder and CEO of Zenlytic, which is a tool that helps e-commerce businesses understand and improve their changing KPIs. And prior to Zenlytic, Ryan was a VC with London's AGC Equity Partners and a consultant with McKinsey's Fuel by McKinsey. Ryan has master's degrees from Harvard and Oxford. Welcome to the show, Ryan. Thanks, Jim. It's great to be here. I'm really excited. I can see already, actually, it's funny, the tagline, I just you know, hammered that up for you, and I realized that is a huge mouthful. So uh, there's, there's lessons to be learned already just from the feedback of kind of speaking like that a bit. And that was my, my first at-bat reading that out loud. So, uh, hey, it is what it is. Um, doesn't make it less important, though. Well, so give us a high-level overview of what Zenlytic is and what you guys do. Yeah, so, so Zenlytic is a no-code analytics tool for e-commerce and D2C businesses. Um, what that means is it's, it's, it's a tool that sits alongside uh, the dashboards that just about every e-commerce business uses now. Um, basically, uh, dashboards are good at a lot of stuff. They're very good at answering sort of the what questions that people have. And, you know, you can see a little dashboard and has your sales going up and down or whatever. So the dashboard can answer you know, what was my sales doing last quarter? Um, what was my conversion rate last week? Mm -hmm. uh, whatever. Uh, what dashboards are not very good at doing is answering the deeper questions, in particular the whys, the hows. Um, and we built mm -hmm. Analytic to answer questions like, you know, why did my sales go down yesterday? Why is my conversion rate spiking all of a sudden? Um, you know, where's the traffic coming from? And understanding those questions uh, at a deeper level. Uh, and the, the whole point is that we have this sort of AI ML algorithm that, uh, that takes those questions in a structured way, and it will automatically sort of slice and dice and look across your data in hundreds of thousands of different ways and give you the same sort of outputs that you would have if you'd ask that question to a data scientist. Wow, <laughs> fantastic. My, actually, the tagline was... Uh... Oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, please do, please go ahead. I was just gonna say the tagline is the script from You're talking about the tagline? The metrics that we, that we help with and, and you know, quite often some of the biggest questions that e-commerce businesses have, uh, I mean, the magic formula is, is ROAS, right? CAC, to, uh, LTV to CAC, basically. Um, and and mm -hmm. it, those efficiency metrics are something that if you're a CMO at an e-commerce business, you spend your entire day thinking about that. Uh, and you spend a lot of time wondering why those numbers are changing without having a really good idea of why they're changing. And we go out and our objective is to really help you enlighten that, make you smarter, make you make, help you make better, better decisions in a data-driven way. That's amazing. Yeah, that's great. I, I was just going to say that my background or, or some of my background is in uh, the, the SaaS space and specifically working with uh, Shopify SaaS owners. So this type of data, especially for the, the higher end, like sort of Shopify Plus or Magento Marketplace would be just incredible. Yeah, that's those are exactly yeah. the sort of companies we work with. Did you build this, Ryan? I built part of it. Um... I'm, so I'm kind of a I'm kind of an oddball in the sense that I have done a bunch of things in my past lives, and uh, one of those has been technical. So I, I am capable of you know I'm a data scientist myself, uh, and then I I code in you know JavaScript and Python. So 
I built out the original front end for the product myself, uh, and it looked like absolute, an absolute disaster, uh, which is why we got the pros involved. But I think having that technical background okay. was actually really helpful for an entrepreneur for two reasons. First, because it lets you do that sort of rough draft. Uh, and that rough draft was, in fact, what we had when we took out to our early customers that we took out to our what are now our investors, for example. And that was enough to show that we were onto something, um, even though it wasn't a very well-coded thing. Uh, so that's helpful. I think it's actually also really helpful um, because I've, I've since sort of evolved to, you know, let other people that are way better at that than I am handle all the technical stuff. Um, but being able to speak that language, I, I think, gets me a lot of credibility. So, uh, you know, there's, yeah. there's the occasional time I, I managed to, like, you know, hit a pop fly and I, uh, uh, someone says they're stuck in a problem. They say, oh, you're having trouble with this. And I say, have you tried actually sorting by X? And, and that person says, oh, I haven't tried that. I'll try that. I think that's enough to, uh, to sort of, you know, give me the credibility I need to be able to manage the team as well. Yeah, that makes sense. And I don't see pricing on your site, and we, we don't need to go into necessarily the details of that, but I'm just curious if it's, are, are you targeting more of the enterprise level, much larger um, e-commerce businesses? Uh, our, our primary area of focus is what I'd say is the mid-market. Um, and okay. so the, and the the reason for that is because uh, quite often uh, they have the most questions. Uh, if you go to really, really large companies, they, they have teams of people that can help with this and uh, we work well with those teams as well, and we are doing that right now. But uh, I feel like we add the most value when people can't do this at all. So, uh, you know, these are these are stores that are doing mm. whatever twenty five plus sort of GMV. Um, there's a bit of a lower limit because these stores have to have some data systems in place for us to work with them. So, Zenlytic flanges into your data warehouse, okay. uh, just like your other tools would. So, if you're using, uh, you know, dashboards or reverse ETL or data exploration tools. Uh, you know, they all sit on top of something like a snowflake, for example. Um, you need to have one of those. So if you're if you're really, really small and you haven't mm -hmm. set that up yet, um, there's other tools that are probably better. And they, they do sort of automated, you know, they plug directly into your Google Analytics, for example. Um, we don't work so much with I those see. companies. We're more in the mid-market. Okay. So with, with, to the extent that you're comfortable talking about it, I'm curious what your primary methods are for for new customer acquisition. Yeah. So um, we're pretty lucky uh, because as a, as a team, we're, we're, we're terrible at customer acquisition. Um, we're, we're very much a product-led <laughs> team, I suppose, and, and our goal is to just build fair, really, fair really powerful, neat stuff. Um, and that's where we spend most of our time doing is actually building the product. Uh, I'd say, uh, and we also happen to serve a, uh, both a large uh, and a growing customer base, so, uh, um, or a large and growing market. So in the sense that, you know, the pandemic has uh, really had a transformational effect, actually an increasing effect, unlike most other industries for e-commerce and B2C businesses. Um, and, yeah. you know, just because of that, a ton of companies have sort of moved into the horizon where they could use a tool like Zenlytic. Um the, the primary sort of, you know, outreach programs we've had now have really been uh, inbound referrals more than anything else. Um, we started out working okay. with people that we know well. Um, and, you know, we have a bunch of conversations and, and so often people, it'll lead to, oh, hey, I know this e-commerce company X that they could use something like this. Uh, want me to put you in touch yeah. and make an intro when that happens. Uh, or just sort of cross referrals from the people we're working with now. Um, having it's said that, I, I think there's, yeah. <laughs> having said that, I don't know, I think the, the long run, um, 
if, if I were to look to a company for, uh, you know, how I would approach customer acquisition for this, uh, if I wasn't, you know, focused on this inbound, uh, I'd probably look to a company like Looker, for example. Um, and Looker, as you know, bought by Google, uh, sort of last year. I don't have any insider information in Looker whatsoever, uh, but, you know, huge exit. Um, they, they started out uh, very much with an outbound sales approach, as I understand, uh, a lot of blocking and tackling at the start. And then as they built that brand, that just builds the file, which sort of, you know, gets more people interested in, in, yeah. in solving the problem. So I, I think actually just yeah. reaching out to companies and, and direct, you know, conversations, market research is not a bad way to go for a tool like this. Sure. I would actually. So would when it comes love, to. Oh, sorry, I, was gonna, I would actually love for there to be a, a bottom up PLG type motion for something like this product like growth, which is kind of the name on everyone's lips right now. Um, yeah. Because you see this sort of future of work startup circle, right? And like, I, I think of the companies that I really admire are companies like yeah, Figma, for example, Notion, uh, you know, Rome Research. They all have these, they all mm -hmm. have a few things in common, I guess. And it's like, it's like a bottoms up sales motion, right? Um, very much value before the paywall, right? So this is, you know, try it out. And if it's not doing value, then don't worry about it. And, you know, if you want to have more with this, then you can upgrade to the paid plan. So, you know, Notion is, I think now free forever for individuals mm -hmm. and it's only up for institutions that you upgrade. Um, and it's 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 a very efficient process too, right? There's no human in the loop, um, because when I'm trying to buy a tool online, I, I don't want to talk to a salesperson <laughs> if possible. Um, and I think a lot of people just want to do it themselves automatically, so they take the human out of the loop. Uh, and and then yeah, it's just the, you know it comes down to product qualifiers. Uh, I think that is mm -hmm. that's that's an awesome awesome go to market motion. Um, I think we're going to be seeing more and more and more businesses uh, like that uh, over the coming years, and I think this will be the decade of that. Yeah. There's there's kind of these waves, right? And I feel like the the last wave is inbound marketing, which is always going to have a place. Uh, but these waves tend to saturate after a while. I mean, we could all only get so many newsletters from so many businesses, right? Um, we've, we've had an influencer wave. And I True. think one of the biggest waves that's coming up next is this product like growth. Um, I know a, a bunch of, you know, OpenView, for example, uh, is, is, is a real proponent of this. They have a ton of sort of writing on their blog about, you know, what's good about PLG. I'd invite anyone who's interested in this to check it out. Uh, I, I would love to do that for something like Zenlytic. It's a little bit harder for us because of, uh, uh, you know, it, it, it takes a little bit of setup to do this. Um, and we can't, uh, mm -hmm. quite often, if you're the person using this, you don't have the keys to your data warehouse and you plug in and just go. Um, it, it usually involves, uh, you know, it takes an hour or two of configuring and setting up and putting in credentials, sure. uh, which is hard to do in a PLG way. So. Uh, that's why I would look to someone like Looker, which is, it's not a heavy sales process, yeah. but it's like a light touch sales process. I see. So are you, are you guys giving demos and having sales calls right now with your new prospective clients? Yep. All the time. Uh, for sure. We are, uh, and that, that's basically what it is, is, you know, we get introduced to someone, um, and, uh, mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's interesting because this is a relatively sort of new segment. Uh, and this is one of the fun parts of building a startup is that you're, you're operating in a segment that no one even knows what it is. And then if you go and you to someone and yeah. say, oh, yeah, we're a CRM tool. Everyone's like, okay, they're a CRM tool. That makes sense. Uh, but if we say, oh, we're a co-processor mm -hmm. for your dashboards, you're kind of like, okay, what is that? And and part of our, <laughs> our journey is actually just... The burden of you know, education. Right, the burden of education. That's exactly it. Um, yeah. So the demos are very, very helpful there. It's one of those things that it's actually much easier to show people than actually go and like explain it to people. So oh, we just sure. load them up with a... With a demo data set and say, hey, go have fun. Uh, we either give them a guided tour or just let them play and answer a bunch of questions and let them sort of 
think this is really neat. this is this is what I could do with my with, with you know for my data with this. This is fantastic. So. Now, are you the guy that that hosts those calls and kind of handles the sales calls, or is that somebody else or somebody multiple people on your team that do that? Uh, there's 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 a couple of people, but I am mostly the guy, um, mostly by okay. default because we're like I said, we're we're predominantly a team of sort of engineers and technologists and UI UX designers, uh-huh. uh, and and less a team of salespeople. But I guess I am the the most salesy uh, out of anyone. But uh, that doesn't mean I'm <laughs> a salesperson, so. Uh, you know, I, I guess that's it's yeah. mostly me. Um, and I think the fact that they're not, we don't have that sales DNA is actually great, uh, because Agreed. yeah, you know, our, one of our one of our big goals uh, is authenticity, um, and mm-hmm. for, for several reasons. I mean, first, just because uh, I've been doing this for too long, and and I'm too old to worry about trying to project someone that I'm not, or try and predict like I'm doing something that I'm not, or anything like that. So. Our, our yeah. number one goes to be ourselves, uh, but I also think it's it's actually very effective for communications. It really resonates with people. Um, this is one of the most valuable lessons I yeah. learned. Back I love that you're hit, you're hitting on that. Yeah, um, and I, I remember yeah, I, I learned this earlier. I, let's let's. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Let's go deeper into that a little bit because I want to know what your how do you define authenticity and and yeah as it relates to sales, but also just as it relates to. Uh, general relationships, both with clients, with with team members, with partners, with advisors, with investors, etc. Yeah, for sure. Uh, this is something that I I'm, I'm very I feel very strongly about. Uh, uh, it's and it, it all like the very first time I discovered the power of this was when I was leaving business school and I was sort of getting my first job out of B school. Um, and this was I had, I had finished business school in 2010, which was not a great time to be leaving business school <laughs> and there yeah i imagine not a lot of jobs and i think most of the classes actually struggled to find jobs uh and i remember i had a few interviews and they didn't turn out and i was like oh man i'm not um and then i finally did an, another one and and i uh you know just kind of connected to, to a partner and uh we kind of we, we hit it off very quick we were just kind of chatting and um i was very much at ease and everything and he started asking some questions and I, I kind of thought to myself, uh, you know what, uh, to hell with it, she's the win. I'm just going to, I'm not going to try and like structure this in a certain way or talk a certain way. I'm just going to be hundred percent myself. And I said, listen, I think this job's really cool. I'm really excited about it. Here's the things that I'd be good at, you know, X, Y, Z, whatever. Uh, and I listed off a bunch of things and I said, okay, now here's the things that I think I would actually not be as good at. And like, here's probably where I'm missing. And I was like, you know, A, B, C, and I was like, I don't have a network in this area and I haven't done this before. And, um, okay. I was, I was completely upfront. And it was all it was all 100 percent true, um, and I wasn't trying to put my best face forward. I think it was more like just like this is what the relationship would look like, right. uh, and it was like flipping a switch. And this partner was like, "This hmm. is amazing," and it's like, and and he was really thoughtful about it. He, I finished that, and he was like, "Huh?" And there was like a big long pause, and I was like, "Oh no, I screwed this up. What am I going to do?" Uh, and then he <laughs> said, "Okay, well," and he and he looked at the the negatives. He was like, "Okay, well, this yeah, we can live with this. I can teach you." You know, this is how it addressed. And like, he actually went through the list in a very thoughtful way. Uh, and, you know, I got the job. So like that, and, and uh, it, it just started a very great relationship with someone who's a mentor to this day, basically. Uh, and that was when I kind of vowed, I was like, you know, I'm always just going to be myself. And that is, that's also how, I, how has that evolved? That's the biggest way. Yeah, sorry, evolved. Ryan. I think I'm, we, we have a slight lag. I think I'm stepping on your toes and I don't yeah, mean no to. Problem. Um, I know, but I, yeah, I'm, I'm curious. So that was, you know, what almost around a decade ago. I'm curious how this, 
has evolved and matured for you as you've gotten more and more experience in your career? You know, the, the biggest way that it's evolved for me, I mean, well, so first off, I, it's, it's funny because uh, for a couple of years, it was just me doing this and it felt like I had this superpower that nobody really knew about, you know, it was the weirdest thing. Um, and it, it worked in all sorts of situations just like that, where there was interviews or whether I was, you know, you know, pitching somebody or whether I was, you know, trying to sell something or whatever, just like, you know, trying to connect with a new relationship. Uh, that, that, that would always be my default. Mm -hmm. and it would always work fantastically. Um, and I realized, well, why people were having such a hard time with it is because it takes a lot of courage just to put yourself out there like that, right? And it's, it's hard to just right. like, okay. yeah. um, it's, it's, and it's, it's intellectually easy to do, but in practice, you know, it's, it's hard to be sitting in a job interview and saying, Hey, this is what I'm legitimately bad at, you know? And this is not like what is my yeah. first quality. I'm a perfectionist. Um, so it's, it's hard. Uh, <laughs> I'd say the, the, the evolution for me was first realizing that. Uh, but then the next step was to take that to how I approach, you know, buildings analytic and, it, 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 it permeates everything we do mm -hmm. at Linux. So it's, it's, you know, it's how we operate internally as a team, right? Um, it's, it's a little bit like uh, the Bridgewater thing, radical candor, I guess. Um, you know, we, you know, we're always 100% mm -hmm. honest with, every, with, with everyone, basically. Uh, we come at it from a very respectful way. But like, so like, it, it's how the team communicates. Most importantly, you know, there's that sense of authenticity about your business is also, um, you know, it's very effective when you're talking to people. So on, on those calls and on talk calls, I can say, you know, if they have questions, you know, can Zenlytic, can Zenlytic do this? I think a salesperson would be like, well, I think if we have this upgrade and this and this and this and well, and you know, my answer is like, listen, I don't think we're very good at that. Um, you know, we're not focused either. You know, we're not focused on it or we, we're not going to do it in the future. Yeah. Here's a list of other tools which might be better for that. Um, uh, you know, I've even listed other companies. Uh, listen, we're not for you. We should probably use this instead. Uh, and those calls have even come back and they said, okay, really, I think I appreciate that. Thank you for recommending these other tools to us. Uh, and they come back a few months later. It's like, we use those ones, they're great. And now I think we're ready to have you as well. So I, I think it pays on a company yeah. basis. Uh, awesome. Interestingly, it's actually becoming very much a movement, uh, just sort of on the, you know, the, the airwaves these days. Uh, it's manifesting itself as I think like the build and public movement mm -hmm. is sort of an extension of this. Um, and I think of lots of companies on Twitter right. doing yeah. really, really good jobs of this. Um, the, the, the poster child, I think, is copy.ai. Uh, run by a guy named Paul Kubian. Uh and he's he you know day one. I remember I've been following him since about day five. Day one he posted MRR zero dollars, uh, and then he uh, uh, you know every, every few weeks he'd actually just post what their sales were, uh, and as it grows, and that he you know he ran with a million dollars in MRR or an ARR, uh, I think a month or two ago, uh, and they've been completely open with all of the books on the business, and they've grown exclusively on Twitter. You know people love to learn about that stuff. They love to communicate about that stuff. And, it also just gives the company such a great vibe you know it's a it's a real honest culture so i, I think it's it just yeah it, i love that it's, it's great personally but it scales you know all the way up from businesses to enterprises to whatever you know groups of people as well so yeah so i want to I, I love this topic and i don't want to leave it just yet i want to dig a little bit deeper because i think it, it comes to like i'm specifically thinking in the context of of selling and i recognize that selling is kind of relevant based on maybe we could say the price of the product. You know, if you're selling a, a high-end service where deal sizes are half million to a million plus, that's maybe a little bit different than a smaller or, or more affordable product. However, it comes down to trust. And I think what you're describing is really the, um, the ability to build quick trust through vulnerability. And I think people can just, most people can see that. 
But I think that's the magic. And it's just, it's interesting how that plays out. And I, I've been constantly amazed at how, how quickly it's possible to build trust if you sort of employ these, these rights ingredients or, or behavior. And, it was, and that sounds almost yeah. bad because it's like, it's, it really has to be genuine. But if it's mm -hmm. delivered in a, a truly genuine way, there's something magical about it. 100%. And it's actually, the way I think about that is that like, actions speak louder than words. Um, and vulnerability mm -hmm. is an action, right? It's like, even though you're doing words, like it's something that you do that you can't sort of undo or whatever. And like, you know, just sort of being honest with someone is, is itself a very powerful thing, right? And it's different from saying, I'm going to be vulnerable is actually just going and being vulnerable and being authentic. Uh, right. And that's, that's an action itself. Yeah. And that really proves things, you know? So I, I, I like it. I, I, I think it's an underappreciated superpower. Now, let me ask you this. I, do, you, do you believe that some people are just naturally gifted at this? Because I, I, like, I recognize someone could be listening to this and take some pointers and be like, oh, like Ryan gave some specific examples of what I could go do. But do you think it's more than that? Is, is there a, a Is there like a gift that, that, is, that is there? Actually, it's funny. I think it's the opposite. Um, I, think it's, I think it's very much yeah? a muscle that you train. And, and the opposite being... Okay. Uh, I think that a lot of, I think for a lot of great salespeople, for example, we're using the sales as a context for this right now, but I think a lot of people, great salespeople, it comes very naturally to them, right? They're sort of extroverted people. They're like, uh, you know, very charismatic. And I guess you can, mm -hmm. you can learn that as well, but like there's a lot of inner personality sort of type traits, uh, which I do not have, which I am, I am not a very good salesperson. Um, I think, you know, be, being authentic is, is learned and built up. And I think it comes back to, it, it comes back to, getting past the fear of it. Um, and it reminds me, my, my co-founder, Paul, is a, uh, is a rock climber. And, you know, he talks about going through the various rock climbing things. And it's funny when he describes it, there's, there's, there's a big chunk of that sort of curve where it's actually just being able to, like, be comfortable in the mountain and get over that before, you know, it's, it's not even about, like, hand strength at the lower level. It's about, you know, your attitude and your approach to being able to address that sort of uncomfortable situation. Mm. Uh, and I think if you practice that, that's the muscle you're building and you're being authentic, right? And it's like I said, it's a scary thing to do. Um, it's it's really tough to actually put yourself out there like that. Um, but if, if you do yeah. it over and over again, you start to realize that, you know, people aren't that scary, that, you know, that you can have these conversations, that people actually really appreciate this approach. And once you get comfortable with that, that's when that super, mm -hmm. sort of superpower kicks in. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. Let's let's transition. One of the uh, the pieces in your LinkedIn that jumped out at me was your time as an advisor at Noom. Mm -hmm. I, I I've heard of Noom, and I'm curious if like if you would expand a bit on what Noom does and your role as an advisor there. Sure. Yeah. Um, so I mean, Noom, Noom is a very successful business. Um, they they provide a it's it's an app for uh, I don't want to botch Noom's picture. It's it's an app for you know improving your diet and improving your lifestyle using AI. Um, now that the caveat there is that I've been involved in Noom in a very long time. That was, uh, back when I was an investor, uh, we were one of the early investors in Noom, in fact, um, at my fund. Uh, and they're, they're a fantastic team, uh, of just really, really, really smart people, uh, which is why we invest in the first place. Uh, it's one of those seed stage investments where you're like, it's, it's, it is about the people, right? So like, and we should talk about that later as well, but, um, uh, and we invest in the people and this sort of rough idea that they wanted to really improve people's diets and improve their habits um, using the power of the mobile phone. And I think they've really, really validated that. 
I only know, you know, in the past five years or nothing publicly, but I know they've had some really great partnerships. I know they've had some uh, just tons and tons of growth. Um, every time I get an update from their founder, Seiju, uh, they're always just expanding like a weed. They've always closed some massive, massive round with some very, very high profile investors. Uh, and I, I think they're a rocket ship. Yeah, I have, I have nothing but, you know, tremendous, tremendous conviction in their success. Okay, so so you mentioned something that I want to I want to key on a bit. So as an investor, when you're looking at the founder or or founder team, when you say that, and I forgot the exact word you use, but but basically that the people need to be high speed, low drag. Let's say, like, what are you looking for? What's the <laughs> what's the what are, what are the ingredients that you're looking for? Yeah. Um, so so my my mentor uh, at my venture fund is a guy named Joe, who's one of the most uh, awesome people I've ever met. Uh, and my sort of first week on the job, we were doing uh, a pitch and we were, you know, someone's pitching us and they were, uh, we had a chat and he, he kind of, uh, at the end of the chat, we talked about stuff and he gave me this sort of like piece of advice, which was uh, every, every company uh, sort of will reach this sort of crisis point, at least once, but usually once it happens, you reach this sort of crisis point and it looks different every time, but a lot of this stuff is similar. So it's like that company will have, you know, they're running out of cash. They're not getting resonance with the customers that they were hoping for. Mm -hmm. The team is sort of disenchanted. They're kind of worried. Um, there's, there's tension. And so like, you know, that's, that's kind of like the, the hard point and like, they don't know if they can even go on or not. Right. That's kind of like the, the make or break moment. Uh, and it's exactly that. And there's like, you know, my, my mentor said, there's two types of companies in the world, right? There's the ones that, you know, hit that crazy roadblock where everything's falling apart and nothing's working and they don't think go on and, you know, they run out of money or they, whatever they have to, you know, give up for some reason, they, they, they pack up shop and they close up. Mm -hmm. um, the second type of company are the ones that, you know, lean up, they do whatever needs to be done. They adjust, they react. Um, they, they focus more than anything else. Usually it's focusing is what really sort of gets you past that point. Uh, and they get through that crisis. And the, the ironic thing is that crisis once you get through that, that's usually when the business really starts to take off. Um, and it's, it's hmm. funny, I kind of, you know, I kind of took it a grain of salt at the time, but I've seen it happen so many times over and over again that it's just, that that's the way we thought of our portfolio. Um, and every company that, you know, we would touch or interact with, it's like, are they before the crisis point or post-crisis point? Um, he, he, so his advice to me to answer your question was your, your job as an investor, especially the seed stage investor, is to... Uh, you know, speak with these teams and identify which of the teams that will pack up shop and which of the teams that will, you know, grit through and make it happen. So that, and that, that involves a lot of different things. I mean, the first thing is what I just said, hmm. grit, I think is the biggest, the biggest set of keyword. And as you know, as a founder yourself, yeah. there's, you know, it's all about solving problems and it's sometimes you just grinding through them. Sometimes you're soaring through them, but it takes grit is number one. Um, and it's just sort of resourcefulness, yeah. you know, adaptability. Um, the ability to focus and, and, you know, testing for all those things is, I guess, that sort of learned skill that you gain as a VC. You look for those patterns and people that can sort of overcome those. But that's that's the big, that's the point in my head that I would have when I was speaking with the seed stage business is like, mm -hmm. are, you know, are they are they the first type of team or the second type of team? Hmm. Let, let me ask you, I, I read an article, I wish I could attribute it properly, properly but it was talking about, it was correlating the, the age of founders or the founding team with success and generally they found that the older the founder is the more successful they're likely to be so would you even anecdotally agree with that or what are your thoughts on on age as a factor in age correlated with experience as a factor oh that is a great question jim 
and I wish I knew the answer to it. <laughs> uh, I will, so this is something I think about a lot um, because I think mm. I'm on the older side of the spectrum. I'm 38 now for like sort of founders, and I think a lot of people are 25. Yeah. Yeah. Um, sure. so I'm slightly on like the, the older side of that curve, but then I see stuff like I think what Bezos was 34 or something like that when, when we started Amazon and you know, there's, there's a long list. I think Warren Buffett was 36 when he started Berkshire, or whatever. There's Colonel Sanders is something like 65 or something, right? So it's there's, there's a long <laughs> list of those yeah. examples too. Um, and there's a lot to unpack there. I mean, I think there's a very different vibe depending on, you know, where you fall in that experience bucket. I think there is a lot of advantage mm-hmm. to being that, you know, 22-year-old, one-year of experience, you know, brand new sort of founder because you don't know what you can't do. I think that's actually a very you know powerful thing to have when you're when you're starting a startup because sure. you're just you know you're disrupting you're you you're by definition trying to do things differently um and i even sometimes yeah. feel that with uh i think we were very strategic about it my co-founder is about 10 years younger than i am paul and uh so we bring you know, kind of the best of both worlds there you go yeah and i'm, I'm actually curious to hear hmm. your experiences of that I, I feel like it gives us the best of both worlds really so like i get to i get to be yeah. the voice of reason he gets to have these really great ideas and uh, he's, he's, he's much more uh, yeah. persuasive than I am. So usually he talks to me to make good ideas in the end. But I, I can at least be a sanity check on That's those. So, I think it was so similar. <laughs> yeah. It, you know, it's so funny. So my, my wife is 12 years older than me. And, for, and we've been married 16 years. And we, we've just had times when like, the, the age difference was notable. From music to just life experience. And I felt like I, I've always been chasing. Because she's just been... <laughs> a decade ahead of me in terms of life experience. And finally, we're getting to that place where we're basically in the the same chapter of life, more or less. And that's nice. But it's like, I couldn't relate to her perspective until I I partnered with my co-founder, David, who is uh, 10 years younger than I am. And it's, it's so cool to see, like, David is so smart, so much smarter than I am, so technical, but he doesn't have that life experience just yet. But but he has great ideas. He's very persuasive, just like you said. We're and we're great great partners uh, for each other. Like it really just clicks and works very very well. Um, totally. But yeah, I, I think it takes time to evolve. But like David is a great example of someone that's like, man, like once he has that that experience to back up his intelligence, he's going to be unstoppable. So I look at it like it's an investment as well over time. Um, but it's 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 good, man. Like it, there's there's differences, but it's it's been really positive. Totally, yeah, and that that you know, it's 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 actually amazing. Like, uh, there's there's tremendous value in diversity. Everyone wants to have a diversity of opinions across the team, and and you look for diversity all sorts of different axes, right? Whether it's experience mm-hmm. or whatever, but like or like different types of like what your background is, and you have like diversities. But people don't really talk about the value in having people with a lot of experience and a little experience, you know, on the same team, and that sort of it creates there's certain tensions that it creates, but it's a very productive tension, right? Um, and I think, it, I think it works really well for producing just better stuff in the long run. And as yeah. the old, the old adage, so you, you guys have, I was going to say, my mentor told me too, if, if two people agree on the same thing all the time, then one of them isn't necessary. And I couldn't agree more. So like, it's, it's great to have someone <laughs> with that different perspective yeah. uh, sitting alongside me. Yeah, completely. I, I agree. So it looks like you guys have been at it for what? Almost three and a half years, right? Yeah. Um, it, it, it has been three and a half years. Uh, there's a bit of a uh, there's a bit of a hack there because for the first is is actually for the first year and a half. Um, 
we were doing something a little different. Um, and what we made that for the first six months, we were actually still graduating from our, our grad school. We said we're going to finish this up first before I go full hog. So we were doing some stuff at the, at the start. And that's the first half of the mm-hmm. first half a year. And then actually right when we started, uh, you know, whole hog, we, the plan, the plan that we've set out was we're going to do a year of consulting as data scientists, and we're going to be straight up consultants. We're not going to touch a line of code for the product, um, very strategically. And it's kind of, it's, it's funny. This was, this was actually the, the old guy B's idea because it's like being kind of methodical, methodical about it. Um, but what we, what we did with that, there's, there's two good things there, right? We worked with dozens of companies from like startups to fortune 500s. Um, and it did two things for us. It first, it helped us bootstrap a bunch of early funding, which is great. Um, Secondly, it gave us a ton of insight into how companies use or fail mm-hmm. to use their data. Um, and we saw, you know, sure. you see when you work at that many different companies and yeah. just basically it was a great excuse for them to basically tell us their problems. And it's like, here's our problems of law. You start to see mm-hmm. where the convergence of the streams is. Uh, and that had a profound effect. You know, we, we had a few ideas of how to structure Zenlytic going into it. And by the time we had finished that process, uh, you know, it was, it was crystal clear. We knew exactly what the problems were. We knew exactly how we could address them, knew exactly how the companies are structured, both, you know, technically as well as organizationally, as well as mm. operationally. You know, we, we understood exactly what we needed to do to build this product after that. Uh, so then we set out to build the product. We went out, we yeah. raised our pre-seed round uh, with a bunch of VCs, uh, mostly in New York, but kind of across America. And, uh, and we started sort of scaling up. So it was... It was a, it was an unusual approach, you know. If, and I think if, if we were two 25 year olds, we probably would have jumped in and just yeah, rah rah, just start building stuff. But uh, we were thoughtful about it. Um, so yeah. that you know that was you know a year and a half ago or whatever when we started the product, and uh, we've been rolling you know as analytic as you know it uh, since then. So I'm curious how how do you and Paul define your roles and areas of responsibility, maybe maybe get into decision-making a bit. I mean, for anybody that, that is apprehensive or trying to weigh the pros and cons of should I partner uh, or go go about this solo, like what would your, your advice be and how do you guys handle that? Um, yeah, it's, it's funny. I have, so I have a uh, an unpublished Twitter thread, which I got to hit the send button on sometime here. Uh, it's, it's a living thread of things that I knew as VC platitudes that I've now internalized that I realized just how important they are. Hmm. Uh, one of the things in that list is the importance of having a founding partnership. Um, and this is something that, you know, the old, old edge, I think YC for the longest time, maybe even still till today, I'm not sure, uh, they would only accept partnerships. So like you couldn't be a solo founder going into YC. Um, I think that hmm. was one okay. of I think that was one of founders ones, like one of Peter Thiel's, he has those sort of rules of thumb, right? And I think one of them was, I think, I think he actually mm-hmm. referred that as well. Uh, don't quote me, I'm not positive. I think that was one of them. And lots of, lots and lots and lots of VCs say what I have founding teams or two founders uh, without really, and that was one What's of What's the thought behind that? Yeah, that's the thing. And I was, I was one of them without really totally understanding why. Um, at the time, I guess it's just, I mean, uh, there, there's a lot of sort of theoretical things that you can kind of keep it to their honest and stuff and like, so like if, if there's two people, you're going to be a lot stickier. Uh, if it's just you slogging along by yourself, you know, I think you're, it's harder to, you're more likely to be one of those pack up shop companies than to get through it companies, for example. Um, mm-hmm. It's diversity of skills. So again, it's like you can have two different people bringing different skill sets. Yeah. You know, quite often the partnership you see is like uh, even, uh, I think Sean Perry was talking about this on My First Million recently, he said that like it's usually like a technical expert and like sort of like a go-to-market expert. And that's a natural fit. 
Um, so there's, there's all those things, but like having, having lived that life now of a founder and having crossed the table, um, I totally understand why it's so important. Uh, I mean, for all of those reasons, yes. Um, but so many more, I mean, you, I, first off, the first thing that comes to mind is, is just, you support each other, you know? Um, and it's, it's, yeah. you talk about how venture investment is a marriage, you talk about how fun it's, it's a marriage and, and that's really true. And like, it's, it's, uh, you know, you have someone that you're committed to and that if you, if you're having a hard time trying to figure something out, you're struggling with something, you know, that person's going to support you. Uh, that is so important. And it's, uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that person's going through the same journey as you, you're, you're starting the same company. It's like they, they understand more than anybody else understands. So I think that's, that's just super, super important. Um, and then I think it's, yeah, it's just a, uh, and then, um, all the other stuff too. I mean, it's, uh, for sure we, we bring different viewpoints, which is great. Um, we go back and forth. I mean, we were a bigger team now, but in the early days we were just going back and forth on all sorts of stuff. But, uh, not only do you have, uh, when you have a difference of opinion, it's, it's interesting because then, you know, that's where you need to find more data. Um, and that, that, that's like a big thing is like, it's not like, okay, like who's right, who's wrong. It's like, wait, we both have good ideas and we both think about this differently. We don't know the answer mm-hmm. to this yet. We need to go out and do more research. So like, that's a great flag to find out what you don't know, basically. Um, yeah. But yeah. And then it's, you know, yeah, I think absolutely. it's great. And then the, the one other thing too, is just one of the team, one of the person on the team who really thinks like a founder, you know, and there's that, mm-hmm. the mindset of the founder is the principle. Yeah, that's right. And like, just the way you think about it, it's, it's, it's just more about being with this thing from the very start. Uh, you really feel the ownership, sure. you know, for the company uh, that even early employees often don't feel that same level of ownership. So like, it's, 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 it's really good to have someone else who shares that with you. Yeah. Yeah. I imagine you probably I feel agree. the same it's way. A, yeah. I do. Yeah. It's been a, a really rich experience and it's, it reminds me of like, there's been a lot of times in my life that I've tried to lose weight and all were unsuccessful except for the, the one time that I worked out with my best friend consistently and I lost a hundred pounds. Sadly, I've gained that back, but it's like, like that was that there was something about that accountability encouragement. And it was interesting because, you know, there were, were days that I needed the support and encouragement from him. And then, and then there was, you know, time where we transitioned and he needed it from me. But the point is we were there for each other and we were stronger together and it, it really made a notable difference. And I, I see it very similarly. For sure. Yeah. And it's, that's exactly it. And like having lived that, you don't, you don't even know how important that is until you live it and internalize it. But, uh, and I feel like it's, yeah. I, it's, it's great at intellectual level, but you just have to do it. I, you know, I could not imagine starting a solo business. And actually I, it's even, uh, you know, it's funny. We see other founders when we actually went to sort of a quasi incubator program called company grand central tech here in New York. Um, they, they had a bunch of their, their classes with like 20 people in there. Some were solo, some were sort of, two or more founders, basically. And empirically, you know, I watched the solo founders having a much harder time with things, you know, um, they're there in the weeds and they're kind of mm. logging through. And the other really important thing is that yeah. it's, it's uh, the concept, this idea maze concept, right? Where it's like, it's easy to look back. Mm-hmm. These founders always have these strong narratives. Oh yeah, I mean, the future is going to be this way. Um, but in, in reality, you're, you're in the forest um, and there's, there's a million different yeah. ways you can go. And there's, there's always doubt if it's in the right direction. Uh, and, you know, having someone else to navigate that with you uh, just helps you navigate that idea maze so much more effectively. Totally. Well, Ryan, I know we're, we're close on time. Let's let's end with this question. I, I would like to know what advice you would give your younger you. If you went back, say, 10 years 
and gave yourself advice, had a conversation with a younger Ryan, what would that, what would that look like? Ooh, good question. My only advice that I could think of would be, uh, start now, um, do it now. And like, I, I, I mean that, you know, I'm thinking specifically about, you know, running, running businesses and starting Zenlytic, for example. Okay. Um, and the reason I say that is because I think my, my previous history has been awesome. I mean, being a venture capitalist is, is about as good as it gets, you know, if you're doing a job job. Uh, really enjoyed my time with Kinsey. Like just, uh, you know, all of my previous jobs have been just really, really great. I've been happy to do them. Um, but that whole time, I've always been sort of wondering, you know, like I've, I, I kind of knew this was the destination. I think a lot of people, including myself, say, hey, you know, I'm going to build up some more skills first. Um, I'm going to, uh, you know, I need to learn more and get ready to do this. I need to do something. Something has to happen first. And those are all just excuses not to do it now. Um, I think that you're never going to have the skill set that you need to go and just fully do it. You just got to go for it uh, and you'll figure it out as you go. Uh, and it's, you know, there's no time like the present. Um, now I say that, yeah. you know, that's about, uh, that came to mind about my, you know, my commercial life and business life. Uh, but I think it's actually true for just about anything. You know, if there's stuff that you're thinking about, mm -hmm. and I don't know, there's probably all sorts of things that I had hesitated on or waited on in the past and, you know, life's too short. So just start now. Um, don't waste any more time. Yeah, that's good stuff. Well, Ryan, you've been very generous with your time. You've shared a, a lot of wisdom, and I really appreciate uh, appreciate you joining us. Yeah, this has been super fun. Thanks so much, Jim. Really enjoyed it. Um, can't wait to see the cuts. Awesome. And uh, yeah, let's let's talk yeah, to you really soon here. Totally. So, website is zenlytic.com, and then we'll have a link to Zenlytic. We'll have a link to your uh, LinkedIn uh, and Twitter too, right? Do you mind if we we share your Twitter profile? Sure. Yeah, twitter.com slash Ryan Right on. Great. Awesome. Well, cheers, Ryan. Thanks again for your time. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, all.